The year is 1988. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we're going through the best of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and I'm joined today by Dave, founder and CEO of Comic Book Herald, comic book expert, and the podcaster that I didn't realize I had feelings for until the moment he was kidnapped. Hey Dave, how's it going? <laughs> That's true. You know, in, I was reaching out to you constantly. Everyone else I contacted was busy. I was like, Zach, please help. I've been kidnapped. I shaved my beard off. They thought I was a little boy, and they kidnapped me. <laughs> and you just wrote back, wow, this is the first time I realized how much I care about you, but didn't send help. You just expressed <laughs> no. your feelings, but didn't send help. Well, that's when I just, like, I laid in bed clutching a framed photograph of you mm -hmm. and being like i didn't know what was what i had until till it was gone yeah so a real claremont trope that i i realized today i don't know if this is one of the like documented claremont tropes but i feel like this happens a lot where the first indication of feelings for another character comes in the moment where like they get in trouble and then another person goes like no oh my and then their thought bubble is like oh my god like, what is this reaction? I never I never knew that I felt this way about this person. That happens with Longshot and uh, Madeline Pryor this year. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Could be a good trip. Yeah. I, I do think looking at a photo longingly could be as well. Um, oh, so, yeah. yeah, we're on 1988 Part 3 in our journey through Marvel Comics. We are getting super close to ending the 80s. When we do that, we're going to do a 1980s episode recap. So if you joined us later in the decade, don't you worry. Our coverage will do a quick wrap-up of all the good stuff of all our faves that you should cover. That'll be coming in early 2021. Um, but yeah, for now, we're going to continue here with 88 Part 3, and we're going to talk all X-Men all the time. So last up was Fall of the Mutants. We did another all X-Men all the time event, and this is kind of the fallout. And it's an interesting period for, for the mutants in the Chris Claremont era, which is a windling down right mm -hmm. like we're getting on the the late stages of this era and this is kind of the <laughs> Me last meaning five more years <laughs> no no only three oh, i thought he's done thought in 91 claremont... oh oh i thought claremont like was here for the uh the you know the renumbering in 94 ever the renumberings not... in 91 is the thing. oh oh i don't yeah, know yeah. why i had that in my head okay all right so so Phew. we're we're very much in that end game and i would say like this is probably the last real creative refresh that we get in the Claremont era, uh, with the exception of what you're describing there, the renumbering, which is a big kind of status mm -hmm. quo change type thing. But today we're talking the launch of Excalibur, the launch of Wolverine, and then the ongoing X, Uncanny X-Men, which is not a relaunch, but in a, many ways it kind of feels like it because it's this post-Fall of the Mutants, the X-Men are dead, um, wink, wink, you know, like new status quo thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a sure. it's an interesting shift, an interesting time period in Marvel's X-Men, which, again, are the biggest thing in definitely in Marvel comics. I don't know if still in comics <laughs> and by the time we get to 88, but they're big, right? I mean, I I think because, like, halfway through this run, they go to twice a month. 
And that has to be an indication of how popular they're getting, you know? If they can sell this 24 times a year, I think that that's probably a good marker of how well this is selling. And I will say which the is, bi-monthly is thing is interesting because we were just talking about I was talking about this in the My Marvelous Year exclusive Slack, which if you are interested in joining, you can go on over to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. And uh, for supporting the site, you can get access to our amazing Slack community. Thanks to everybody who has done so. You get other benefits as well. Mm-hmm. And for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to the complete My Marvelous Year spreadsheet of all the comics we're reading, which is updated constantly constantly because we have to go through all these new years right and i gotta find all these new comics looking at 1989 right now but uh but anyway i was talking in the slack somebody brought up you know tom king's batman is a contemporary run and they were saying how i you know kind of wonder how much the bi-monthly shipping impacts the quality or impacts the the nature of it and i i think that's something to consider as we keep reading x-men too like speed of production especially on the art side, but like even on the scripting side is something we just sort of take for granted when you're just binging them all together. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they didn't have the same time to prepare to push these out. So that is, that's interesting to me retroactively, that kind of inside baseball, like what went into crafting the story. It's not always the same thing, Um, but that's kind of all beside the point. uh, I mean, Claremont has been doing three to four different series per month, you know, like since the beginning. So now he's doing Excalibur, Wolverine, X-Men and New Mutants? Or is New Mutants now in Wheezy Simonson's? So by, I, I, at I, this I call point, her Wheezy now because we're, we're pretty good friends. You're good friend. Me. You're good pal. Well, yeah. it, and I think, like, you know, you can be critical of your pals, you know, I think. Like, she, she said I could call her that after um, she said it was, like, such a bold and brave stance to call her writing the worst thing we had read in Marvel mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. My Marvel's Here Club. Yeah, so impressed by that uh, absolute Simonson slander. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> no, Claremont at this point in 88, he's writing... He takes on Excalibur, he's writing Wolverine, he's writing Uncanny X-Men, and I think everything else is divvied up, right? So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, Louise Simonson is writing uh, X-Factor and New Mutants. That'll continue yep. for a minute. And I think that's more or less our X lineup. you got stories going on in, like, Marvel Comics Presents. Oh, Claremont's also writing backups in classic X-Men, yep. you know? Right. So, d- yeah, dude's yeah. busy, right? Dude's busy. Yeah. He's, hand- he's handling a lot of X stuff, but he's not literally handling it all. And, and according to, like, Marvel Comics, the untold story, it was, like, a case of Marvel being like, well, Wolverine's so popular, we're going to start a new series, Claremont, <laughs> and him being like, and, uh, you know, here's who we think we're going to do for a writer. And he was like, oh, God, like... No, it's fine. I'll do it. Like, and him continually being like, I don't want to lose creative control. Let me rope that into my, you know, my my creative time. I do think one thing Claremont could have done better. And I, it's interesting, I think, to consider in the context of contemporary X-Men, where you have Jonathan Mm -hmm. Hickman in 2020 as this major figure, you know, this major writer with prestige and and presence, um, crafting a team around him and having some, having some fairly active role it would seem in developing them chris claremont doesn't really do that now i don't in 1988 it's a little different setup right comics writers have a little different but but he would have had a lot of juice at this point given the success of x-men and especially after jim shooter leaves which that's the era mm-hmm. we're at yeah. now right we got tom defalco in as editor-in-chief a much more um creative friendly editor-in-chief you know mm-hmm. to put it mildly yeah. And Claremont would have had some juice. So, like, yes, Ann Nesanti gets work in the X office and Louis Simonson, his editors that he worked with closely. But you don't ever really see him take, and maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something here, but I, I don't think you really see him take, like, other writers and kind of guide them along to, like, support the, the line. You know what I mean? He he did seem, uh, like, I was just reading, he did a Reddit Ask Me Anything yesterday. I don't know if yeah, you saw yeah. that. 
But, you know, like, clearly he was actively antagonistic towards the idea of X-Factor happening. And I don't think he was holding that against the writers. Well, that wasn't on that. that wasn't the creative team's fault. Right. No, no, that's that's an editorial thing. But like that just seems like he wanted to be like, forget it. Never mind. That is, you know, I'm, I'm basically trying to pretend like this doesn't exist until this year, this year. Well, really because the they brought time. Gene back, right? Specifically. Yeah, right. And he actually had some really interesting answers about that, where he was like, "No, I wanted Scott to become a dad because I thought that you know they ruined that by having him leave Madeline and his baby for Gene Gray. But like, I wanted mm-hmm. Gene Gray to be gone, and I thought him becoming the new Professor X was going to be the next stage of X Men, which is like a fascinating thing to think about. I do. I, think I do that, think the that way he way describes that now does sound better. Than the way oh, X sounds... Factor actually played out, yeah. for sure. I mean, and X... I, I really yeah. like Dad Cyclops, um, so we got yeah. the opposite of that instead. Uh, which it's yeah. an interesting what if how how that era plays out. But we're going to take it as is. Uh, let's start in the order that these stories were presented. All the comics that we're going to talk about here can be found in the show notes. So again, we mentioned like if you support us over on Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year, you can get all the episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you don't, they're available. They're free. They're all just listed in the show notes. We tend to read all these through Marvel Unlimited, which is the easiest and most affordable way to do so digitally. Although I did have someone reach out on Instagram on my comic book Herald Insta and say um, they got all the Fall of the Mutants issues on eBay for like super cheap, oh, cool. <laughs> which was some dedication. I appreciate those who are actually looking for physical copies because that yeah. can be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, sure. But let's start with Excalibur, okay? Because it launches with a graphic novel. Not unlike New Mutants did back mm-hmm. in 1982. So we have Excalibur, the sword is drawn, and then today we read the first three issues of the ongoing Excalibur title for the club. I actually read the first 11 because I was curious to read more of Excalibur because it's uh, it's not a blind spot like I've read it, but it's not one I paid a lot of attention to, and it's mm-hmm. got increasing importance today. So, all right, let's start with The Sword is Drawn, graphic novel. We got Tom DeFalco as editor-in-chief. We got Alan Davis penciling and uh, Paul Neary inks. Alan Davis is going to go on to be the artist most uh, most associated with this run because he works with Claremont in it forever, and then he comes back and, as writer and artist uh, in the post-Claremont era in the 90s as well. So this got big Alan Davis uh, energy throughout Excalibur. And I should also mention, we didn't read this for the club. I like to talk about it every so often. There's a Captain Britain run mm-hmm. by Alan Moore and Alan Davis before this, about yeah, four, like 85. Yeah, yeah, three, four years before this. Um, it's well worth reading. It was published in Marvel UK. It is almost impossible to get your hands on. I have a trade paperback that I paid way too much for, but it's very good, and it's very interesting, and it's a lot of what Claremont and Davis are picking up on here with their version Even, of Excalibur. Oh, really? That's that's interesting, because ne- you never think of Alan Moore working in Marvel. You know, It like, is, as I as I titled it on the Crack and Krakoa series on YouTube... Alan Moore's only Marvel work. Picture mm-hmm. of me holding a comic, looking crazy. No, that's not how I do my title cards. But yeah, it is. A, it's a. It's Alan Moore's Marvel contribution, more or less. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it's it's quite good. It's not as good as his other '80s work. Uh. Which his other '80s work is Watchmen, and Miracle Man, <laughs> and Swamp Thing. Um. But sure, it's yes. it's interesting given the creative yeah. pedigree. But that seriously, like that book is so influential on what we're gonna get here. And it's it's weird that it continues to be a blind spot because I don't think those issues will ever be. In Marvel Unlimited. Are they tied up into some kind of weird rights? I think contractually it just can't happen. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Mm, So I I don't... I I tried exploring what the actual specifics of this are, but I I do not understand. I'm sure, you know, a simple Google search will help you find them. Oh, you think Googling it might help? 
You think Googling well, it might help I'm me trying understand to beat it? it? You just pirate them. Just pirate them. No oh, one's oh, paid. to get the comics. The... I thought you were saying to understand it. I did that part, Zach. Oh. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, um, I'm just saying people can pirate. I mean, at this point. Yes, I'm I, sure they're available digitally via about. explicit means that Zach likes to promote here on our I, otherwise hey, all-ages I don't, podcast. I do not pirate new comics, but there is no way that, like... Anyone who actually made those comics is getting money from my, you know, there's, there's no way to get money to Alan Moore for these comics anymore, is what I'm saying. I guess an interesting point on that is, like, if you're debating the morality and the, the ethicalness, which is not a word, of, nope. of um, you know, pirating those comics is, okay, if you overpay for a trade paperback to some retailer. Yeah, it's eBay, right? I yeah. guess you're helping a used bookstore. Or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you at least have that going if you way overpay on eBay or Amazon. Mm. Um, yeah. As opposed to pirating, which is Zach's favorite thing to do. Dirty little pirate. I don't pirate when I could be putting money in a creator's pocket. But besides that, yo-ho-ho. Ho. <laughs> <laughs> the least enthusiastic yo-ho-ho ho anyone has You're ever the said. saddest little pirate. All right. Let's transition <laughs> to Excalibur. The sword is drawn um, mm-hmm. as we started to do. So, yeah, this is the huge graphic novel that kicks it off. I mean, honestly, it's very similar to that 82 New Mutants graphic novel in, in that it's like, hey, here are the players, um, mm-hmm. here's their deal, and here's what this book is going to be. I would say it's essential in the sense of helping you understand what this series is and kind of whether or not you'll be interested. It is fairly mm-hmm. inessential in terms of, like, being an amazing graphic novel or anything like that. I, I think, think it's I think fine it's good, and it's think, enjoyable. And if you're going to like yeah. Excalibur, you'll like this. What do you think? Yeah, good. I, I like uh, I like Alan Davis's art. And this this whole year has just, um, well, there's a few things. One, I'm just, I'm tired of X-Men overall, you know, like, and that's, that's a little bit me. But I think this is also like a year where Claremont's doing really well. Like, I think across the board, Claremont's stuff here still feels like it's got a lot of pop and it's got a lot of like creativity and weirdness and like, I think he's still, you know, it's not the highest. I appreciate the I've weirdness, seen, but like I appreciate yeah. the weirdness he's bringing here. That's what That's I've good. heard from about Excalibur. But I mean, across this Wolverine and X Men, I still think it's just like he's definitely not treading water. I think I'm just a little tired of it. So you know, I'm trying to set that aside. I that's, think that's actually, a Zach thing. That's yeah. exact thing. You're uh, tired well, of you know what? You've been tired of it for a minute. I don't think. I don't think that's just me though. Uh, in the club, like I'm seeing oh, a lot fine. of people. That's fine. Yeah, I've I seen, mean, I've seen seen a lot of people at this point. Even the like the Claremont diehards who are like, I'm reading everything. Are well, like, that's the thing about yeah, a, about a 15 year run. You know, it's like yeah. you yeah, start yeah. to feel a little long in the tooth on those back three years. Um, I think I, plus. I think what I'm lo- I'm just longing for something different with X Men in general, where I'm like I'm hungry for like the school days. You know, I'm hungry for the slice of life stuff, and that's just that has not been part of X Men for well, quite a minute. That's interesting. I mean, because yeah. that's kind of just wanting to go back. You yeah. just want to go back to the good times, you know, sure. which I actually yeah. think is the worst impulse comics fans have. Well, with, sure. With I mean, stuff. like, I guess maybe I'm just looking for something new, but I, I think like it just feels like constant, constant big threat and action, and it just doesn't have a lot of breathing room for me. Well, Excalibur um, actually is quite good about yeah, breathing room. Yeah, I so I, I I like this, um, and I've never read Excalibur. I don't know anything about this. My vision of it was that it was King Arthur themed. Yeah, I thought it was I some kind of yeah. like England, you know, like it was going to be fairies and you know, uh, what's that? Uh, more not Morticia. <laughs> what's her name? Morgan yeah. Le Fay. Yes, Morgan Le Fay. She is a mortician. Not a lot of people yes. know that, but she did classically train as a mortician. Classically <laughs> trained? She was classically trained <laughs> classically as a mortician. Trained. Yeah, okay. she went to uh, the finest schools. I think she was trained at Oxford, honestly. Um, 
so I didn't know what this team was except for Captain Britain. He was literally the only member I knew. So it was very surprising to me to find out that it is Kitty Pride, uh, Nightcrawler, Phoenix as um, Rachel Summers, and mm. um, what's her name, Megan, who I don't know, but is a like a shape shifting like fairy. I, I don't know her deal. Um, sure. Yeah. She's, um, she's pretty yeah. cool. She is yeah, cool. So, so this yeah, team, it, it falls in the wake of Fall of the Mutants, where everyone thinks all the X-Men who were in that event uh, died. So we mm-hmm. get Kitty Pride, you know, coping with that, dealing with that. Nightcrawler we... was wounded during that event. He kind of mm-hmm. comes back out of that here. So basically we get, like, who's left and who thinks the X-Men are dead. Um, what's fun about Excalibur 2 is, like, you got Nightcrawler, you got Kitty Pride, and you got Rachel Summers as the people who weren't around for that event. But then also, like, Captain Britain, not a mutant. <laughs> you know um megan i'm not 100 percent if she's even a mutant or not uh yeah. i feel like she might be but I, i'm not 100 percent on that um but either way it's yeah it's an odd kind of quirky team uh and we should mention yeah. too yeah, for people fun. who don't know because i don't think we've really talked about them on the show uh, i guess we did actually in a marvel team up but captain britain is uh betsy braddock's brother betsy braddock mm-hmm. is psylocke who's been with the x-men and who is believed deceased here as well so when we meet yeah. ryan in this graphic novel he's sad he's mourning at the bottom of a bottle yeah. and he is deep at the bottom bottle yeah his alcoholism uh is heavy in these early issues of the event or of the series yeah yeah and uh and this this whole thing is like there's a weird team of bounty hunters called the TechNet, who i think for are there's a bounty out for rachel summers by mojo is that is that what's happening here mojo is war- hunting rachel summers yeah yeah, and he sends this weirdo team of bounty hunters, which are which are pretty fun. Uh, my favorite being Body Bag, who's just this like weird praying mantis with a, a a liquid sack on their back, and they just it swallows up like Rachel and Kitty Pride, and they just float in this thing's like translucent yeah. membrane membranous sack thing on its back. It's very creepy and strange. Um, and then the Warwolves are are like the soldiers of mojo world weirdly a little too much like the brood where it's just like i take your body and your skin which is happening also this year that feels a little kind of like that but, but it, not trying to be scary i suppose yeah they're the the dissonance between their design which is kind of like a, a sleek silver surfer wolf mm-hmm. kind of wolf without ears like this lizardy wolf thing and them being like doing abbott and costello bits <laughs> and yeah like, right it is very strange and i don't know if it actually works i think it's a case where the the artwork needs to like sell them as a little weirder because they're like they, they are, they're drawn as if they're these like cool menacing creatures and then they're just like two thumbs way down like yeah that i mean alan davis's silliness. thing is is this he's got a comedic sensibility to the designs right like it gets a little mm-hmm. wacky it gets alien and it gets cartoonish all, all of um, tech has that and it works. Yeah, and those like are all those are previous Davis this... creations. Like he yeah. doesn't create them here. You know, they've been yeah. in Captain Britain stories he's done in the past. Um, yeah, and the the team definitely has that here. Uh, I I do like sort of this hunt for the phoenix thing that mm-hmm. uh, that mo- not only Mojo has, but you also get little hits from Saturnine who were introduced here uh, in the club. She's mm-hmm. been shown in previous arcs, like Captain Britain by Morin Davis that I mentioned. Um, but she's the omni or she's not the omniversal Majestrix at this point. But she is tied to the Omniverse which is the other big thing with Excalibur is like multiple realities. Okay. So like DC comics, you hear a lot about their multiverse in Marvel. We really haven't talked about it a ton, you know, but Excalibur is the book that really sorts of like kind of literally cracks the door open on uh, like alternate realities. And that becomes a big theme throughout the series. Oh, I just to point this out. So it's very like, headcanoned by a lot of people and i'm not sure how back this is by you know the actual like writing that kitty pride is 
by specifically like her and Ileana Rasputin are shipped quite a bit right her and Rachel Summers even more so is it her and Rachel okay maybe mm-hmm. I'm mixing them up um and I've never really seen anything that backs that up you know like I'm not opposed to the idea but uh I have not like seen that except here we get our first little glint did you catch this where uh um what's her name Saturnine Opal Saturnine shows up and the fairy woman I can't remember her Megan Megan's just like ugh this awful witch. I don't know what Brian sees in her. And uh, and Kitty, like, thinks to herself, like, I do. <laughs> I don't even know if it's just a thought bubble. I feel like she says it out loud. Yeah, that's yeah. that's an often referenced... Uh, that's a good call-up. Um, oh, Kitty Pride being coded as purple? bisexual is something yeah. that X-Men fans have talked about for a long time. It came up again uh, in a real big way in 2020 this year uh, without spoiling anything. So that there look for those signs here in Excalibur, especially with Kitty and Rachel, because when you have that in mind, I read it initially, not that's not part of my awareness, right? Like my perspective didn't, I didn't see it. Now I can't stop seeing it. I see it everywhere. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, it is interesting. And I think it's heavy here with Kitty and, and Rachel in particular, especially as they're like trying on each other's clothes. Rachel puts on this like really sexy dress on her, you know, stuff like that. Um, you'll, you'll see them as you read through Excalibur. Kitty pride has some very cool moments here in these issues. One, she breaks through a wall where there's a bunch of like hostages being held and, uh, and she like puts a sheet over herself and she just pretends to be a ghost to like scare the (laughs) the kidnappers, which is really good. And then she like touches one of them and turns him, um, incorporeal. And so he can't pick up his gun and she's like, I've turned you into a ghost too. And like everyone gets all freaked out. That's very good. Another time, she uh, she stands in front of a car speeding at her, and she, like, phases through it and then into the car and then phases the entire car so all four men in the car go flying out. Mm-hmm. Cool moves. The, the problem is she does all this really cool stuff, and it's totally invalidated by by a single moment where she says to, I think, uh, to Captain Britain, I take pride in what I do, and she says it, pride, P-R-Y-D-E. And that completely ruins any kind of coolness she had this year. Zach, that's the best pun we've ever read. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, I mean, she's cool. I, I think the uh, the thing with Kitty, too, in this era is um, she has to focus very hard to actually become solid. So, like, mm-hmm. post yeah. her injuries and post, uh, you know, X-Men Fantastic Four, which we talked about, like, she is uh, phasing more often than not. I think it is. Um, same with Nightcrawler. Like, teleporting takes versa, a lot more yeah. effort for him because of his injuries. So we're still seeing the yeah. ramifications of the mutant massacre in these characters where they're still like wounded and kind of messed up. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, as a whole, like Excalibur is, it is intentionally very fun. Like it's, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's really ever laugh out loud funny, but it definitely is trying to be comical, you know, like, and I think like Claremont and Davis aren't comedians, you know, but they have a fun sensibility when it's turned on. And I think it is, it's joyful to read these issues more often than not. I think the best thing probably too is like, Brian Braddock is the big strapping man in these, you know, and he just gets his butt whooped in like every issue, you know, like it's a recurring gag almost. Um, so they're, they're inverting some expectations. They're doing some interesting things. And again, like the thing we talked about with Uncanny, we have a team here of three fifths women, you know, again. So it's like not the standard all male Avengers kind of lineup, uh, which offers a little different perspectives and different stories that they can tell. My favorite of the bunch here probably is um, Excalibur number three, just because I do love a good juggernaut story. Uh, so that one works for me pretty well. Me it's got that great cover. Captain Britain, like across the field. Yeah, yeah. To your point, yeah. I think too, so the other the other big threat, uh, trying to 
as we kind of get this buildup of alternate realities, is there are like Nazi versions of these characters. Okay, so there's like an alternate reality where it's like, what if the Nazis won the war? You know, it's kind of like Man in the High Castle type thing. And um, we get there a version of Saturnine. I think her name is Sat hyphen YR hyphen the number nine. Okay, so get this idea of different versions of these characters across realities, this becomes a big thing in Excalibur. And like not necessarily knowing which version you're talking to, that's going to be a big thing as well. So look for that if you're going to continue with the Excalibur oh, special. Was, okay, all right. I was like, I don't think I read that. I don't know what that is. But that that's moving past issue three. Okay. I mean, it's it's a bigger thing moving forward. It is in this issue specifically. Is it okay? There's a little wink at it or something. There's a little. Okay. little I mean, the, he he always does those little nuggets of future stuff. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I think okay. like honestly, it's off to a decent start. Excalibur's never been my favorite book. Um, I appreciate it a little more now. I suppose I'll be interested to see. So in '89. And maybe even in the 90, they're going to do this big story arc called the Cross Time Caper, which is like the make or break moment, definitely for do you or don't you dig Excalibur. Um, I'm not sure we're going to read as much of it as we did the first time around. I feel like I made a lot of people angry making us read as much (laughs) of it as we did the first time. So I'll be curious to hear what people think um, because we'll read like four issues of it in 89. So I'll I'll do a litmus test at that point. Yeah, because I mean, personally... I actually think this is pretty good. I'm not having that much fun with any of it. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, like critically, it can be you like. You don't have to really... read these comics, you know. Well, I literally have to. It is... No, you don't. <laughs> is... Well, I'm not just going to come on and be like, "Tell me what." You are so to you. down on the X Men universe. It's just strange. yeah, yeah. No, I, don't, I mean it, it's yeah, no, it's not strange. It is. I'm just I'm tired of X. Well, I, I am finding I am finding Everyone that agrees. out that like, um, you know, I, I think the X Men are just like. Reading, if, if I had to read 12 B minus Spider Man comics, I would be perfectly content doing so. 12 mm-hmm. B minus X Men issues is just like a real slog for me because it's just, you know, I, I, I just don't yeah. think they're my, yeah. they're my, they're my people quite as much as like a Spider Man or a Captain America or, I don't know, like the, the bar has to be a little higher for me to get engaged and, uh, you know, but again, I've disliked a lot, I've disliked X Men a lot more than this year. There's been X-Men that I think is a lot worse. I actually think, like, even compared to what we read for the last issue with Fall of the Mutants, I think all this X-Men stuff really works and is really good. I think I'm just a little exhausted by it. So, It is a lot. Uh, I'll give yeah. you that. It is uh, yeah. an investment. Speaking of a lot, you know, we have Wolverine launching a, a solo ongoing series. Another case, too, where, like, the Wolverine solo has never been a favorite of mine. It kind of seems like it should be a bigger deal than it is um you know i I think too like actually so wolverine launches here it's volume two because of course we had the claremont and frank miller four issue kind of instant classic right and that's been Mm -hmm. wolverine's only solo series throughout the 80s which is kind of amazing either restraint or just like an oversight (laughs) you know on marvel's part like it's surprising it took this long um but so it launches here with chris claremont and then it launches with john buscema art and inks by al williamson mm-hmm. i feel like i'll throw a lot of shade at the buscemas um the art here is because it, it's kind of what you're saying it's like it's b minus art in my view like i know they're talented i know it's good it is not exciting it does not do things for me that like the most exciting talents at marvel from this era for example um you know todd mcfarlane hitting incredible hulk are doing on that title you know, it's not taking yeah. Wolverine in a new direction. And it's weird to me, I think even retroactively, like, Claremont's going to be on it for a while. But even after that point, like, 
this book just kind of flounders. Um, eventually, we're going to get to, like, the Larry Hama era in the 90s, which I'm, I'm really interested to reread. But, like, I, I feel like this book should have been a lot bigger, and I feel like the lack of creative freshness on it is a big part of the hindrance, Claremont included. Because, again, Claremont, he's earned the right to take on the Wolverine series if he wants it at this point. Like, mm-hmm. no shade in that regard. But you're talking about a guy 12 years into his run who's already writing Wolverine and X-Men and doing a good job. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I like Wolverine as part of that unit. I No shade there. But he didn't need to take on the Wolvie solo ongoing as well. I feel like a new voice actually would have been preferable. Um, that said, these first three issues are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you know, John Buscema's art, like, I'm uh, John Buscema, wait, Jr.? No, who am I thinking of? You're thinking of John Romita Jr.? Yes, I am. Wait, so this is, oh, this is John Buscema, not John Romita Jr. I had it in John, this, this was John You can't tell Romita the difference? Jr. No, I thought it was, like, a big difference. I was like, oh, wow, he really rushed these. <laughs> I've liked, actually, you know, some, Our boy uh, J.R. J.R. is on uh, Daredevil with Anacenti at this point. No, no, I know, because I was just like, this is... Uh, th- this had big um, high school scrapbook energy. <laughs> or, like, a uh, high school sketchbook, I mean, rather, like... But, like, a very good one. I like high school like, scrapbook wow. energy, though. Yeah, or you'd, sketchbook where you'd be like, wow, this, this, uh, this guy's I feel talent. like scrapping is, is hip it's, with the teens. This, I don't know if that's true. This, this I, had a well, lot of I shaved my face today and I'm wearing a backwards hat, so I do. G- oh, and you have you have a, an entire scrapbooking station right right there behind you, I can see. <laughs> Set it up yeah, just no, to his, feel this his, young. His art, I think, has like a, a scrappy energy to it, the same way I actually think that like um, John Romita Jr.'s does. But it definitely is even more scratchy. <laughs> like, mm. these are not pretty panels to look at, but he does give Wolverine kind of like a, uh, a wildness that I think generally works here. Yeah, I, I think you can also feel that this was not Claremont being like, I have a Wolverine story I want to tell. Mm. This was, here's a Wolverine comic and, uh, you know, write something. I better you know, write they, it. Yeah, there's not even any attempt to, like, really try to square the uh, the circle of where he is. Well, with, I mean... You know, both series. No, you're right. I mean, so the the thing they do with Wolverine... Which is fine. I is don't they send Wolverine to Madripoor which is the, the hive of, of scum and villainy of the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe, right? It's where all the, the baddies go. And uh, he gets this island in the Marvel Universe. He goes there, and he can do Wolverine things there. And more or less, he's, like, looking for swords, <laughs> right? There's, like, a possessed blade. He runs into the Silver Samurai. He meets some other characters there, including a, a Jessica Drew, actually. Yeah, Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the former Spider-Woman, who we really haven't dealt with a whole lot at this point in Marvel. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, that's mostly what the story is. I mean, I think good thing that claremont does is like establishing these ties between wolverine and madripoor like him being a character that functions there establishing his uh alter ego of patch where he wears an eye patch and nobody knows he's wolverine that's awesome <laughs> that's really <laughs> so great stupid yeah oh that's patch fantastic. where'd you get those claws <laughs> i mean it's just as good as glasses on superman except better because it's just yeah. a patch um and he's you know he's clearly got the wolverine hair and everything right but yeah. uh yeah i mean like again they're competently made comics they are fine. If you're a huge Wolverine fan, I would imagine they generally satisfy that itch, you know, because, again, like you're getting some of that mythos of the character. You're getting connections back to his solo mini with Claremont and Miller where you have all these, um, you know, Asian culture influences, right, where you have like the Silver Samurai in the hand and all these like Logan's time kind of like trying to become the samurai becoming the ronin that sort of thing that gets integrated into this at not as successfully as that original miniseries uh but it's like 
I don't know. I just they feel like comics that should have been a bigger deal to me than they wind up uh, being. Like I, w- I would not recommend any of these as like, hey, you want to read Wolverine comics? Check out his 1988 series, his solo mm-hmm. ongoing. It just wouldn't be even I, in my top like ten. I also don't think I care about Wolverine solo. I think he works in a team, and I like him bouncing off other people. But he's like he's one of these characters that I think works better. His solo stuff does tend to struggle. Um, Not that it... it, There are times when it functions very well. There are definitely examples of that as we move through Marvel history. Um, But that is an interesting point you raise. I like... I I would agree in that I like him better as a member of the X-Men. Ironically, like, he's the lone wolf. He goes off and does his own thing. I always like Wolverine stories better when he's a part of the X-Men. Even if it's just him talking to Storm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of characters like that, yeah. Sure. Well, I think X-Men particularly are most X-Men function better as part of the X-Men universe. You know, that's that's sure, why you yeah. don't actually have a lot of solo ongoings for the individual X-Men. They don't tend to be super successful. Um, yeah. I mean, Wolverine has the most issues of anyone. Probably, like, second is, like, Cable, <laughs> you know, who we haven't gotten to yet would be my guess. But, like, Storm has had a hard time with that. Nightcrawler's had a super hard time with that. Um, Cyclops Which has is very limited. It does feel like a lot of them have a, a, enough character and personality to be able to, you know, dig in and do something solo, right? It, I think it's that it's thing, usually, though, where you know them as a part of a unit, and when you remove them from that, it's like, I, I want to watch LeBron play with four other guys. I don't want to watch him shoot hoops in his driveway. Oh, who, come on. Who, you you who even had that? to understand that sports no, reference. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, like, I usually think that that thought about people who I think don't have that much personality like Doctor Strange or Silver Surfer where I kind of like them more, you know, like bouncing off other people and other people's response to them. Yeah. Right. But, um, but like, and I guess maybe that's true of Wolverine because I actually don't know, like solo Wolverine is usually just him brooding about like, man, I hate to kill, but at the same time, I love to kill. And, you know, I don't know. Like there's there's nothing in that human or uh, that like personally speaks to me. Right. So like, Maybe it's missing, but like Storm, Storm and Nightcrawler are both very like human characters that I feel have a lot of relatable stuff, you know, in the same way that like Spider-Man does and he works solo mm-hmm. so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it's a little surprising to me. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Wolverine is fine. I, I think it's a, uh, it's a, a good Claremont comic again. Um, it's just, uh, I'm getting a little, a little tired of this. I like, well, Silver, and I think uh, to your, to your early, like you're feeling the exhaustion in a way I'm not obviously because I dig mm-hmm the world building and the lore and the, the relevance that these have to where X-Men are at in 2020. Like these three Wolverine issues literally had to reread them to get ready for the 10 of swords event that is happening in Marvel yeah. right now. You know, so like there's, there's stuff there where it's like, Oh cool. They're pulling from this continuity, this and that. I enjoy that a lot. Um, but I will say your general rating as like, Oh, these are probably like a B minus. I think I agree. <laughs> like I like I'm fine with that. Oh, I don't need, I, I was, I was just using that example. I don't give all these a B minus. Like I think, uh, I think Wolverine, I would give a B minus, but like Excalibur, X Men, I'd give a B B plus. I'd go higher on X Men because I like this era. Yeah, maybe, maybe even a little higher in X Men. I think this X Men's all like this X Men. Th- this was this is almost um, what I mean, where I was thinking like this is really good, smooth Claremont work. Where I'm like, it's not quite Dark Phoenix Saga, but it's not that far off either. Interesting. Like the stuff he's doing on X Men, and I'm just kind of like, I think I'm just. Uh, I'm just kind of tired of this because, like, the Mark Silvestri art, I think, is excellent. On you know, I don't remember digging Mark Silvestri's art as much when I read it the first time as I do now. I, I yeah, have definitely really gained an yeah. appreciation for his work. And so we're in the Down Under era. 
mm-hmm. of Uncanny X-Men. And what that means is post-Fall of the Mutants, the event, the X-Men had the chance to go anywhere, like any reality, anything, any, they could go anywhere. And they chose to go uh, be uh, perceived as dead in Australia. <laughs> cool, <laughs> that, was cool. their, that was their pick. So they get sent to Australia, and that becomes the new home base for these Uncanny X-Men. And again, it is that... You know, you mentioned earlier, like, okay, you're kind of ready for them to, like, be back at a school and, like, have a headmaster and a unit and, like, that sort of thing. And that is the interesting thing about the Claremont era is there's no refresh in that regards. There's no, like, hey, let's go back to basics. There's just progression. And I think this is one of the most unique progressions because it's truly, like, let's go out of the country to a totally new place and let's do new things with these mutant characters. Um it doesn't. It gets talked about a lot from like diehard X Men fans. It's not the sort of era that gets talked about a lot in terms of like, hey, what are the milestones in X Men history? You know that uh, that a casual fan would read necessarily. Um, but I do think it holds up with a lot of the good stuff from the Claremont era. It definitely injects enough freshness into it that I'm a bit more engaged. Um, and I think like the second story arc we read here about Genosha is probably, I mean, probably like the longest lasting legacy. Yeah, I was going to say anything this is Claremont pretty does important. post like yeah. Mute Massacre. I would maybe yeah. even before that. Um, so, all right, let's start with so Uncanny X Men. Um, I kind of just picked a couple <clears> story <throat> arcs here. Really, you could read almost anything in this Down Under era post Fall of the Mutants, and it's it's interesting. Like there's stuff with can the you, Weavers can before this. Can you explain this. Gateway just a little bit because we jump in, and I I already knew who he was. Yeah, but can you explain like how they came across this guy and like yeah befriended him? So gate so the like the first story. After Fall of the Mutants, the X Men they're in they're either in Australia or they get sent there in that story. And um, there's this team called the Reavers, and they are these cybernetic villains essentially. I I don't know if it's revealed here immediately, but it gets revealed eventually that like a bunch of them are the Hellfire Club people who were carved up by Wolverine back mm-hmm. in the Dark Phoenix saga, which is one of my favorite oh, Claremont yeah. pulling uh, threads together things. You yeah, know? we we had years that during later. The- the Barry Windsor Smith solo. Oh yeah, yeah. Issue. Those guys showed up again. You're right. With uh, yeah, Lady Deathstrike. Two hundred five with Lady Deathstrike. Yeah. I, are you getting tired of getting schooled on X Men by me yet? Because uh, it happens so often. You should give I mean, me your I, YouTube channel. I mean, I just pulled the issue out of my right bicep. So. <laughs> that was an amazing save. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so they uh, the Reavers are back. They're committing crimes. They steal stuff. The X Men go to Australia. Um, so the Reavers are using Gateway in this early. They're using Gateway, who is a mutant with the ability to teleport people basically anywhere. Like he's a uh, nightcrawler, but he can do large groups across vast distances, and he doesn't necessarily go with them. Uh, and he is, I don't know if he's actually mute, but he never speaks. Uh, maybe mute by choice. And I i don't know what the right language, inter- he, he, he seems to be indigenous to Australia. Yeah, he's an Australian indigenous guy, yeah. Yeah, um, but the X-Men, so they like, they beat up the Reavers, and they say, actually, Lady Roma shows up again, and she's like, all right, Wolverine can kill all the Reavers, or you can let them walk through the Siege Perilous, and they can get a second chance at life. Siege Perilous is just this cosmic MacGuffin in in Um, X-Men. And the X-Men decide, like, all right, we're not going to let Wolverine kill them all. (laughs) We'll let them go through (laughs) this thing. And then they decide to spare Gateway, and they keep Gateway uh, as on the team, essentially. And he becomes their their transport. So they can kind of go anywhere in the world from Australia with Gateway. Yeah, and so th- th- I was actually uh, kind of surprised that, like, they didn't spend more time in Australia in this arc. 
because they really don't, except for like Madeline Pryor who stays behind. Um, they mostly just yeah. Madeline Pryor of, runs like, like their Australia base and like all their tech. Yeah, and they just have a bunch of like globe-trotting adventures here. So like yeah, yeah. Each issue will like skip around from being like New York, New Mexico, Denver, Scotland, Australia, right? Like because they have gateways, so they can just like zap around the world. Um, which does you know open the possibility for like open the door for more possibilities of like storytelling around the world and they kind of just remove that um needing to worry about like flying there or whatever not that that was much of a concern anyway how um, do you feel about chris claremont as a travel writer because i i actually have come to really appreciate his his desire to like open with like you know a hundred words on thailand no, <laughs> you know god nope no thank you <laughs> not for you um i feel like I, i've been other places because of claremont's writing and I feel like in 88, especially, like pre-internet and without the ability to see these places as easily, uh, there was a little more value there as well. Hmm. Yeah, I just, you know, his writing usually does not, like, speak to me on a prose level. Right? I'm not, like, usually reading this I can smell like... the smells. I can feel the feels. Yeah. I can feel I the mean, dirt to, under to my feet. To be fair, almost no one has been able to do that with, like, rare exception. Like, Don McGregor back in... Uh... Rage of the Panther is like the only one who I was like, yeah, give me more like blocks of text describing what that alligator smells like. You know, like <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a rare thing for somebody to uh, to want that in a comic. Yeah. I will say, um, but yeah, so the the X Men they're in Australia, they are down under. The first arc we read here, two thirty two to two thirty four. Uh, it's a brood story. The brood are back. And uh, if you like the brood the first time, you're probably going to enjoy them coming back the second time. If you were pretty out on that story the first time can't imagine this is really going to save it although again i like the sylvestri art with inks by dan green colors by glennis oliver uh mm -hmm. and i also like star sharks anytime they show up so that is a win as well yeah um, this arc is in my favorite it's fine yeah. i don't know I, I feel like brood stuff is bigger in my head than it winds up feeling on paper you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah i thought i thought this was fine um i think i might have even liked it a little more than the first one even though i did i guess i did kind of like some of like it hits some of the same beats you know it's literally like logan's infected again oh will he succumb no yeah i guess the difference is this time it's the brood on earth you know yeah. so last time yeah. it was on the the brood's home planet uh this is also a, I, I think the period of time where this book does go bi-monthly um so you know just yeah. something to keep in consideration yeah, but yeah it's the brood on earth so it's you know it's the um the x-men defending earth very deliberately from uh brood infections and yeah it, it does play out very similarly to how it did the first time around, I think. Um, but it's, I think know, it's again, it, it's fine. An interesting note here is uh, we, we got a, a letter a while back talking about, I think it was right after God Loves Man Kills, talking about the portrayal of, like, Christianity okay. in Marvel Comics and mm -hmm. how, like, it's generally pretty um, critical of it, right? Like, using being used, the villains, right? Like, using fundamental Christianity as uh, the God villain. Loves Man Kills certainly is, yeah. Right, yes, exactly. Hey, here's the uh, the counterpoint to that. Right, because there's a preacher here, and he's like decidedly anti-mutant. He like tells one of his staff not to use the word "muty." Yeah, he uh, he defends like the mutants come, the brood, and the mutants fight on stage at some kind of you know revival or something. And uh, and he actually thinks that he like faith healed Logan here, as like Logan's healing healing factor got rid of the brood egg. Yeah. <clears throat> But, like, at the end of this, people are like, oh, the mutants attacked, and he, you know, stops them, and he's like, no, that's not right, they defended us, mutants are just like anyone else, don't be racist, blah, blah, blah. So, a, uh, a positive, positive example of, yeah, Christians. I mean, yeah, it doesn't uh, do that much for me, but <laughs> if that's if that's what you're looking for, it's uh, it's here, finally. 
There you go. All right, the next story is Uncanny X-Men 235 to 238. Um, this is the big X-Men vs. Genosha story, which if you have been an X-Men fan for some time, you probably know about Genosha. Uh, if this is all totally brand new to you, then this is uh, a pretty big development in that the, Genosha is a fictional Marvel country. It's going to be around from this point forward. And it is a, a fairly clear... Uh, metaphor or analog to, I suppose, the South um, African apartheid, you know, which is obviously like big headline getting um, story in, in the geopolitical landscape in this era. Obviously, we talked about it a lot in that Black Panther mini where it's like very literal in its depiction mm-hmm. of what's happening yep. there. Genosha is that kind of idea, um, but it's a country where mutants are subjugated. So it's this country that like it's, it's a it's either an island or, or a um, what's the one with three sides? Not a peninsula. Peninsula, right? Uh, no, I don't know. Archipelago? Said, Isn't that a series of islands? <laughs> Isn't that like a bunch <laughs> of small islands? Yes, you are correct, Peninsula. All right, cool. This has been My Marvelous Geography with Zach and Dave. You're welcome. For yeah, the you lesson. were right about Archipelago, too. So I should just never talk about geography. Yeah, clearly. I'm a master. I'm a geography master. You said it. Thanks. Okay. Um, so Genosha is a nation where uh, they they have all this like cool tech, it's kind of advanced technology, but a lot of it is based on like mutant subjugation, right? So it's yep. it's the most explicit example of a whole country that is designed. Basically, it's already the dystopia of Days of Future Past, where um, you know America and everywhere else has Sentinels lording over mutants, except they don't have their own Sentinels. I don't think they just have like they have these colors that can depower mutants yeah. that they that the, they like to they use in a, a man named wipeout who like gets rid of their powers i think so like that. i think yep. so I'll, I'll tell you something i did not pay a lot of attention to the uh notion <laughs> names here i could not okay. tell you what they're called yeah notion magistrates at, like, i know that god you know what actually killed me was that like all the broods had their individual names here so there was like spitball and whip hand intention <laughs> <laughs> yeah like and they all had names and that was like killing me because i was like Ah, oh, you don't need to do that. Just and they, you know, they had like little powers and stuff too. Right. So, yeah. They, they, oh, one of the uh, one of the Genosian bad guys is a man named Pipeline who can <clears throat> take a person and upload them through the internet across like a modem, and he like oh yeah, he, yeah. He kidnaps Madeline Pryor and like an escaped mutant, and then uploads them via you know like I was I was a little surprised by that because I was like oh in '88 like <laughs> you know and obviously like Tron and like other i'm sure many other things but to me like in my mind like no one is even aware of the internet internet. until 94 95 you know yep yeah yeah so yeah that's a pretty pipeline ahead of the curve bring him back bring back pipeline let's see what he can do in 2020 um but yeah i mean so like the x-men run into madeline Pryor. i think is the first to encounter the genotians um you know because they're capturing a, a mutant and and bringing her back for punishment or execution or whatever and uh, they take Madeline, that gets Wolverine and Rogue on the case, and they become prisoners of Genosha and then have to fight their way out of there as well. Um, I think these issues are well done. I think the bigger thing is they establish, like, this really relevant component in the Marvel Universe and in X-Men lore. I think they do so successfully, yeah. but, like, to me, I'm not like, oh, man, I can't wait to sit down and read these three issues so much as I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. These are very important, uh, like, world-building stuff that happens for X-Men. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever even read a Genosha comic before, but I knew what Genosha was just through kind of like X-Men osmosis. Yeah, oh, it's, in, um, yeah, right. it's th- in the animated series. I mean, I guess they haven't touched it in the movies, probably not. Um, no, but definitely so. if you, you've absorbed, yeah, like you said, X-Men osmosis, you'll, you'll pick up on that one. Yeah, the other thing that's getting established here is Madeline Pryor is, she finds out finally that like, 
where Scott is and that he is off uh, living his best life with Jean mm-hmm. Grey <laughs> and that uh, Jean Grey is alive. Where's Nathan? Where's Nathan little baby? Nathan is... Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, because I was like, Scott doesn't have him, right? <laughs> like, Scott doesn't have, have the baby. Well, because like, Scott thought Madeline and Nathan died. Right. Um, what does happen? So I don't did, remember. I don't remember. He's 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 not dead. I guess I'll say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so she finds this out. She's kind of uh, you know depressed about this, Con- wondering whether she <laughs> I can just hear Dave googling. Where was? <laughs> where? I just googled where is Nathan, and these answers are disappointing. <laughs> um. So uh, yeah, it's setting up that like she's having these flashes and dreams. She thinks, but she's talking to Sim. Uh, the demon in limbo in Ileana Rasputin's limbo, yeah. who's like hinting at, you know, her like getting into some weird contract with him. She, <clears throat> while she's being captured by Genosha, she like puts one of the Genosha interrogators in this strange like mental hellscape and threatens to destroy Genosha. And she's wearing some of that classic Chris Claremont bondage gear. Bring um, it back, and, baby. Uh, yeah, and a little wink at something called Inferno. And uh, that that word just sounds important for next year. Sure does. So, sure does. Yeah. So Maddie's I mean, developing powers here. That's yeah, a big would, deal. Uh, to <coughs> say where. Uh, so Maddie, I don't know if she has Nathan with them in Australia. I feel like she doesn't, but somehow she knows where he is because literally the next issue of Uncanny X Men will answer some of the questions. Ooh, here I have a question for you. There, yeah. I have a, an answer for you, Mister Sinister. Uh, da, da, da. Um, sent his marauders to kill her and kidnap the son. Maddie used her latent psychic powers to defend herself, but lost baby Christopher to her enemies. Wait, Christopher? I thought his name was Nathan. It's Nathan Christopher. Oh, wait, is that true? I think so. Okay. Yeah, that was that was X Men two hundred six. So I guess the Marauders have the baby. <laughs> is that right? Do the Marauders <laughs> the Marauders straight up have possession of baby Nate? So so Sinister already has him. I'm confused. I here's the thing. Oh, sorry. Spoiler there. I, I'll have. Um, I know. I'll, I'll clip that out. Baby Nathan continuity stuff. One of the hardest things to remember in all of X Men. Uh, you sure. definitely, you definitely have to go all in, uh, and even I am sitting here very confused about the specifics of where is Baby Nathan at any point in time. That should be our first question when we do X Men uh, episodes. So let's we'll talk about the comics, but first, where is Baby Nathan? We need to identify <laughs> his location. The, oh, you know what I liked about these X Men issues? Or no, wait, it was the um, the Excalibur ones. They really like cemented Rachel Summers for me for the first time as yeah, like a full yeah. X Men team member as a or Excalibur team member like I, I feel like she's been a little like I kept having her and Madeline mixed up in my mind as just like two redheads who were like mm. a little lost <laughs> and like oh are you actually just Jean Grey I don't remember like are you a clone or something you I'm just kind of not paying attention to you because I feel like you're gonna get revealed to be a clone or something and I think Excalibur is very good oh sorry go ahead no that's it that's I think Excalibur is very good for um for boosting the personalities and profiles of all three former mm-hmm. X-Men like Rachel yeah. the most because we've gotten the least from her uh, and you get a lot of Rachel Summers Phoenix stuff in those issues yep. oh she's um, full Kitty we've Phoenix seen thing, plenty yeah. of but it just it continues developing her character you know yep. in, in successful ways and I, I think too like separating her from always being the kid of the X-Men into like kind of a slightly newer role on a smaller roster where she's just less of like the little baby they took on you know as a teen um, I think it helps her kind of grow up a little bit in ways that are interesting. And also, like, Nightcrawler is... It, he gets to be more that, like, swashbuckling version of himself. Um, 
and not that he wasn't a fit on the X-Men. Obviously, I loved him there, too. But there's just a lot more, like, Kurt being Kurt stuff, which is fun. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> um, oh, and uh, some some little romance hints between uh, Kurt and, God, I keep forgetting, Megan. Megan. I think, you get, you get some sure. Kurt and Megan flirtation. So Megan is with Captain Britain. On the, mm-hmm. Love the one you're with, right? She's with Captain Britain. And uh, Kurt starts a little flirtation there, while Brian is starting a flirtation with his old flame, Courtney Ross. So a mm. lot of romantic intrigue over on Excalibur. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, but yeah, all in all, like I, I enjoyed going back to these comics. Again, nothing blew my mind. Um, I think it's it kind of like we're all... It is. It's that end of the movie thing with Claremont where like we're moving to like two major beats from here you know like two major things that happen um and then it's kind of the end of this era so if you've been digging it i would say like i guess more if you haven't been digging it hang in there because we're almost done you know um yep and like if you're because i don't know this end of the era stuff is like yeah it gets a little weird it gets different than what we think when we think of x-men and like just that image in your head it's the claremont burn stuff you know and it's the team totally together and in the blackbird going to the moon right like that's that's the team um and we're very far removed from that as i've said a number of times here so it's you know it's it's different but i i enjoy that change i enjoy that progress in comics because we don't get to have it enough honestly yeah it's uh i i've liked i've liked these x-men comics i think these are much better x-men comics than we've read for a while and i just like i like them less (laughs) it's like it's a boring point to make um but uh, I think I am. I'm looking. Although, like when I think about what the future brings, who takes over in '91 after, uh, after? Oh, a whole bunch them? of people. It, it'll change too. Yeah, I don't know if I'm actually like excited for '90s X-Men because that seems like it's just going to lean into well what yeah. I get frustrated by with X-Men, which is just like, hey, uh, not characters, just yelling. <laughs> you know, it's which... that thing of you don't know what you got till it's gone too yeah. like you know yeah, on one hand it's kind of like I all right like... ready for something new and then the something new is like mm-hmm. oh this isn't as good <laughs> you know yep. um it'll be interesting you know we'll, we'll check out a fair amount there but i i would not uh it's not something controversial to say post claremont uh, 90s x-men is not as good although there's stuff i like so anyway we'll talk about when we talk about it next up on 88 part four this is gonna be a oh, five part finally year. five this part my, year my reward for reading all these x-men issues <laughs> what what are you enjoying at this point in marvel amazing like you're everything. what are you looking forward to 87 was awesome like i liked almost everything we read in no i know but like on a, on a character level like what are you looking forward to oh uh spider-man i'm like i'm very excited just about always the... spider-man yeah oh no not always spider-man but mcfarland spider-man's coming up yeah I've yeah i'm loving i've been loving incredible hulk like incredible hulk's been a ton of fun so i'm excited mm-hmm. to see him although this uh this does say we're reading we're reading some punisher which yeah, i'm curious to you know, looking on, see what Punisher's doing. Including Punisher. a patron-added uh, Punisher graphic novel that we yeah. got coming up next week. So thanks to the patron who <sighs> and then recommended we're that reading one to some, us. some Avengers cross-time Kang stuff. So, like, time-traveling Kang, which is never my fave. And then Secret Wars 3, excuse me? Uh, <laughs> That's right. You know we're going to be reading the, uh, the unofficial Secret Wars 3, which is... That's one for me. That's mm. You know, I, t- I give a few for you, you being yep. the listener. And then I, I take oh, one for not me. me. <laughs> not I don't. Me I don't think I've ever put a comic in here and thought this one's for Zach. <laughs> I, wow. That would be me saying to you, "Hey, are there any comics you want to add?" That would be one for Zach. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think I could even pick what that would be, I, unless I, I saw like a Batrock comic. You know? Yeah, eight, eighty-nine. I'm gonna 
I might tweak the She-Hulk issues. I'm looking at those right now. You will not tweak them. You can add to them, but you cannot oh, well, change them. Oh, right. All right. Well, that's what I, I was. I read some last night, and that's why I'm so adamant about this, uh, mm. is the first four need to stay on there. She-Hulk's yeah. going to be really interesting to talk about in 89, actually. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack excited. there. Yep. Um, but yeah, next time on 88 Part 4, we're going to talk sp- some good, good Spider-Man. Okay, mm-hmm. so get excited for that. Like you said, Punisher, yeah, Avengers, yeah. Fantastic Four. We will have a guest on for that, so that'll be oh, yeah. enjoyable as yeah, well. Cool. Um, oh, do if we you like, tell them who it is? Yeah, it's the podcast Comic Book Couples Counseling. I think mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have uh, both of them on. Check out the pod beforehand if you have a chance. Uh, but we'll have good, them yeah. on to talk comics. And, uh, yeah, you can find our stuff at uh, patreon.com slash year. Again, if you're looking for what comics to read any given year, just look in the show notes of each episode. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com um, and Comic Book Herald pretty much anywhere on social or on YouTube or wherever. Uh, yeah, what else? I'm Zach. You can find me on social media, Twitter, in the Slack, etc. Well, only if they're a patron. Yes, if you're a patron, you can find me in the Slack. You have, right. frankly, too much access to me if you're in the Slack. You're big in the Slack. You're hu- huge in the Slack. Like, Zach, live in the Slack, big deal. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Big deal, baby. Come check that out if you want to see a different side of the man, the myth, <laughs> the dean. Uh, yeah, so music for the show is by Disaster Peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, we'll see you next year. See you next year. Uh-huh.